The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of MergeLane or any company we discuss. Our conversations are for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal, business investment, or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain merge lane funds own or may own in the future some of the securities and companies discussed in this podcast. 1981, the year I was born and the start of the millennial generation, a podcast for the next wave of venture capitalists. This is Fund 81. Hey, all, thanks for being here. I'm Elizabeth Krauss, founding partner at Merge Lane. MergeLane invests in exceptional startups and venture capital funds, and because gender diversity just flat out increases performance, we only invest in teams with at least one female leader. I host a virtual monthly forum for VC managers. We record the first half hour for this Fund 81 podcast and do closed-door Q&A right after. You can learn about the forum and check out previous podcast episodes at fund81.com. Today, we're going to do something different for our Fund 81 forum. We asked our forum members to nominate companies in their portfolio to participate in a startup showcase. We received over 50 nominations, thanks to all of you who nominated companies in your portfolio. And you're going to hear from four of them today. So first up, we have Viho, nominated by Morris Wheeler from Drummond Road Capital. Hey everybody, my name is Itamar Zor, and I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of Viho. Well, what is Viho? Viho is a, a next-generation delivery company that aims to solve the biggest problem in retail in the past 20 years, Amazon. But before we get into uh, Amazon and what Vio does, let's talk a little bit about our growth so far. Uh, over the past uh, seven months, we've been growing 60% month over month. We delivered 17,000 packages and we're operating in three metro areas, major metro areas, Dallas, Denver, and Chicago. We're also working and delivering packages for some of the fastest growing retail brands in the country. Well, what is the problem? Amazon keeps on pushing the bar and raising the bar on delivery in e-commerce. It used to be three-day delivery was a standard, then two-day, and then recently Amazon announced the next-day delivery is a new standard in shipping. And what Amazon does is it uses a program called Amazon Flix to deliver those packages within a day. Flix is a crowdsourced package delivery service that uses anybody in their own car to deliver packages for Amazon. Now, you may have heard of Amazon Flix, but what you might not know is that Amazon Flex is huge. Amazon has hundreds of thousands of crowdsourced drivers in the country. And they're in Singapore and they're in Europe. The thing is just growing massively. And if Amazon has Flex and every other retail brand is using the old school delivery companies, they're expensive, they're slow, they have bad customer reputation, then how are those brands going to compete in a world where e-commerce is the major way of consuming? Well, that's where Vio comes in. Vio is the Amazon Flex for every other retailer. Well, before we talk more about the value proposition, let's just talk about how this works. Vio integrates with e-commerce brands in their checkout page. Those brands ship their packages to a Vio sorting facility, a micro sorting facility in each city where we operate, or we coordinate the pickup of a big truck uh, from their warehouse into our facility. 
Packages get sorted into routes, optimizing for speed and cost. From there, we use crowdsource drivers. Anybody can sign up, take a route, and deliver 30 or 40 packages to consumer doors. Why do retailers choose to work with us? Well, first, it's faster. Bio delivers everything next day or even same day, only within a region. So we don't fly a package from Memphis to LA or San Francisco. We deliver from the outskirts of the, of the city into the city or to an adjacent city. That's how we're faster. Using crowdsource drivers is significantly cheaper than using big trucks and professional drivers. And we're providing an awesome customer experience where customers can track the package on a map in the Uber-like experience, which in turn increases customer lifetime value for the brands that we work with. Customers love this. Well, that's why they choose us, but why is this so much better than the old school delivery companies? We talked about the cost. It costs about $40 to $60 to operate a big truck and a professional driver. It costs us $18 to $20. But it's also about the flexibility. A company like UPS or FedEx has the same number of trucks, same number of drivers every single day. Some days, those drivers are overutilized. Some days are underutilized. And that's not efficient. Vio has different number of drivers every day, and they're always 100% utilized. We also operate out of smaller spaces because we can get drivers to start their routes every hour of the day. They don't have to come all in at the same time in the morning, which requires a huge space. And lastly, we're innovating in the technology that makes us infinitely smarter over time. Instead of the limited visibility, no data technology that old school delivery companies are operating with, which is hard to integrate with, VO is reinventing the technology in the space. Managed by managed visibility, dynamic pricing, Dispatch is completely automated, and we share those insights with our retail partners so they can make smarter decisions about how to ship their packages. And that technology also allows us to provide an awesome customer experience where a customer can see the package on the way to its door and reroute the package, reschedule a delivery, rate our service so we know whether we did well or not. The whole market is changing. As I said before, it used to be three-day delivery was a standard, and fast delivery was just a fraction of that market. Because Amazon is raising the bar on fast shipping toward next day and in the future same day, the curve is changing as well. And next day is the next new frontier in shipping. That's where VO is. We're focusing on next day. And in that next day space, our cost model using crowdsourced drivers and better technology is significantly cheaper than anybody else's. And that's how VO wins. As I said before, we're growing quite fast, working with some of the fastest growing brands in the country, and we're expanding. From the three markets that we're in right now, we're expanding geographically into adjacent markets uh, in the upcoming year. My name is Itamar Zor. I'm the co-founder and CEO of VO. My co-founder, Fred, uh, is a fourth-time logistics technology entrepreneur. Uh, and we have a team of advisors who are some of the top leaders in this industry, like Tom Schmidt, former CEO of FedEx Supply Chain, or John Brown, who was executive with UPS. These people believe in VO. They provide us the support and knowledge that we need to grow. The team is six full-time employees, nine part-time employees, and we're pretty amazing that we're running the whole thing out of an office in Denver. Thanks very much. Thanks, Itamar. So as you mentioned, you were part of Techstars, specifically part of the Techstars Boulder program. And I'm curious, what's the biggest shift that you've made personally or as a company as a result of your experience with Techstars? I put my heart into Techstars. Uh, we finished the program back in uh, April this year in Boulder, and uh, we worked around the clock to make sure we capitalized on the opportunity. Uh, what I realized at the end of the program was that I overworked myself. Uh, and then uh, one of my key 
learnings as CEOs that I have to manage myself and my time and my health better to make this sustainable over the long run. I worked with a CEO coach who uh, uh, was uh, mentoring me or working with me through the Techstars program. She helped me realize a lot of my weaknesses. And one of them was managing my own time and my health and making myself a more sustainable CEO to grow the company. Hmm. Thanks. And if you could have one do-over from the time you started VHO to now, what is one thing you'd do differently? I can't, I can't overemphasize choosing the right people to work with. And I knew this even before I started the company. I used to produce my own podcasts about entrepreneurship, so everybody says that. But really, um, you know, I realized that it's not just about working well with people who, uh, you know, they feel good about working with one another and they laugh and they have a good time. It's also about alignment and the vision. And the people who join in early on need to be uh, those who believe in the long-term vision of the company because otherwise, as soon as uh, there's a, you know, there's a hump in the road, um, you know, somebody's going to go get up and leave and go and do something else. That was one of my learnings to choose uh, co-founders and, and early employees based on belief in the vision and not only capabilities and competency on a skill set level. Hmm. Thank you. And if I allow you to be as self-promoting as possible, if you imagine the kinds of resources and connections our audience might have, what is one request for support that you'd like to make from our audience? Uh, we we want to work with all the large retailers in the country. Everybody who uh, feels the heat from Amazon, everybody who needs a faster way to deliver packages and cheaper and provide an amazing customer experience. Uh, I would welcome, I would love any introduction to any sort of retailer uh, the, you know, the typical person that we, uh, we sell to and work with is VP Logistics or COO. Uh, if any of you out there know somebody who uh, is interested in this kind of service, I'd love to have a conversation with them. And where would that person need to be based or does it matter? It does not matter. VO, that's the beauty of the crowdsourcing model. VO can launch anywhere. We're operating in three markets right now, which we chose because there's companies there and there's companies everywhere in the country. Uh, so we just want to have the conversation and see whether it is, that that's a good fit. Great. Thank you. All right. Next up, we have Nori, nominated by Hannah Davis from the Techstars Sustainability Program and partnership with the Nature Conservancy. Paul, over to you. Uh, my name is Paul, and I am the CEO of Nori, and we are a carbon removal market. So I want to start by showing you a picture of two different types of soil. On the left-hand side is really healthy soil. It's dark. It's got a lot of roots. It's high in microbial and fungal content, and it can grow really nutritious crops. And on the right-hand side is really degraded soil. This is from land that has been eroded by intensive tillage and heavy use of commercial fertilizers. And unfortunately, most of the world's soils are trending in the direction from left to right. Now, farmers know that if they don't reverse that trend, they're not going to be able to grow food in 50 years. So they're interested in adopting what are called regenerative agricultural practices. This includes cover cropping and reducing tillage. And while that can also restore the health of their soil, it pulls carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and stores it in the soil. Now, in order to make this transition to these practices, farmers need a financial incentive to do so. Meanwhile, there are many companies that are seeking new ways to pay for removing the emissions from their operations because they're being pushed by their consumers and shareholders and employees to do so. So today, that market is around $200 billion. That's all uh, carbon avoidances, allowances, and offsets that are being purchased each year. But that market is missing two key things. One, no one has yet monetized soil carbon removal. 
And two, no one has figured out how to, to commoditize this into a simple e-commerce transaction. It's a very difficult, bespoke, months-long business process in order to find projects and work with brokers and get connected to offsetting projects. What it needs is to be turned into a one-click e-commerce stock. And that's what Nori does. We're a carbon removal marketplace that makes it simple for anyone to pay farmers for removing and storing carbon in their soil. We're turning this into e-commerce so that anyone can click it and it can be embedded in and to any sort of application uh, or uh, platform that you can think of. So let me tell you how this market works. First, farmers adopt practices that remove carbon dioxide. This is cover cropping, reducing tillage, and this increases the organic matter in the content. They provide operating data to us, and that operating data has to be verified by an independent third-party verifier. Then we quantify their soil carbon, and we issue carbon removal certificates to the farmers, which they can then sell to individuals, governments, or corporations through our marketplace. We charge a 10% transaction fee to the buyer, and everything else that the buyer pays gets passed on directly to the farmer. So this is a picture of Trey Hill. He's the first farmer that we've been working with. He owns and operates Harborview Farms out of Maryland, and he's been practicing cover cropping and reduced tillage for a number of years now. Now, this is a view of what Trey would see in our SATR application. So we're able to project over 10 years how much carbon you're going to pull out of the air by adopting these practices, and then enable the farmer to calculate and project how much money they're going to earn so they can decide that this is going to be worth it for them to do. So a little bit about us, we're going through Techstars Sustainability Accelerator in Denver right now. We have 17 farmers like Trey who are in the process of providing us the operating data that we need. And that brings in about 173,000 tons of CO2 removed, which equates to $1.7 million at a projected value of $10 a ton. We've had a lot of coverage in major national news outlets, including CBS News, which did a primetime TV story about Trey working in the Nori market. Now, we're working with Trey right now to verify about 10,000 tons of CO2 that he's removed in his farm. And we're going to be launching this in what we're calling the Nori Lightning Sale within the next few weeks so that anyone, individuals, businesses, whoever, can for the first time ever pay for verified soil carbon removal. So some of the people that we're working with include groups in the food and soil health space, as well as the Nature Conservancy as part of our Techstars program. And then I want to point out Granular in the bottom right, which is a farm management planning tool. So they capture and hold a lot of the data that the farmers need to provide to us. So we're working with them so that the farmers can just click one button and get enrolled in the Nori market with the data that we need. The way that we go to market is by targeting farmers like Trey in the U.S. and then pairing with ag companies. For instance, Applegate just told us a month ago that they want to pilot uh, their feed farmers with us, and then they or Hormel, their parent company, would pay the farmers for the carbon that they've removed. We're different from the other carbon markets that have come in the past because we're really easy to use. We focus on soil carbon and, our, and we're exclusively focused on carbon removal from the atmosphere. No one else is dealing with our past emissions. We have to do that if we're going to deal with climate change. Our team has broad base of experience in both uh, technology and carbon markets. Our director of product ran, uh, was the design lead for Gmail and Android for 12 years. And our director of carbon economics was at one point the world's largest buyer of carbon offsets. So my last concluding thought is that carbon dioxide is not immoral or evil. It's just in the wrong location. And as the UN governments, corporations, and individuals begin to react more aggressively to climate change, not that market will turn from $200 billion to well over a trillion dollars. And Nori sits smack dab at the center of that as it gets monetized and we go forward into the next decade. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. 
So when we talked before this event, you told me a lot about how excited you are about the API integration for carbon removal. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so right now, if you're gonna buy offsets, you go through that really long business process I mentioned, but I wanna live in a world where carbon removal is treated like garbage collection, where it just kind of happens in the background of everyday life. Uh, so imagine riding in an Uber or Lyft ride, and at the end of that ride, you see an ad play from McDonald's, and then in real time, McDonald's pays for removing the carbon uh, that you just emitted in that ride. Or you, every purchase on Amazon has the emissions required to deliver that product to you uh, removed in real time. So that's, that's how we scale this up and actually solve the climate problem. Hmm. Thank you. And when do you plan to launch your product? We're, we're looking at a, a sort of five-phase rollout to kind of uh, learn from the market the way that they respond to this. And the first phase that we're doing is within the next few weeks in late September 2019. So we'll be making about 10,000 tons that Trey has removed on his farm available for sale uh, at nori.com. Great. And... Regarding your soft launch, what's the main goal that you're hoping to achieve and the most important piece of information that you're hoping to obtain from that? Well, one is to demonstrate traction and demonstrate that there's real demand for soil carbon. We've, we've been hearing uh, politicians running for president talking about soil carbon a lot, but they're talking about plans that are many years out. We're ready to go this month. So we, we want to demonstrate that. But what I'm really keen to learn is how does the demand play out between individuals and businesses and corporations? How are they approaching this differently? Is there enough consumer demand to drive this? Or is our original thesis of focusing on corporations the right one to move forward with? Great. And lastly, just like I asked our last presenter, if you could be as self-promoting as possible, what would you want to share with our audience? Well, I would absolutely love any connections that any of you might have to sustainability professionals at uh, uh, not just food and ag companies, but uh, medium to large businesses in general. So these are typically people who have a title of like director of sustainability or chief sustainability officer or something like that. We're going through intensive customer discovery process right now in Techstars, and we would love to be interviewing these folks. Thanks, Paul. Well, our next presenter is Suna, which I actually nominated. So Suna is from our portfolio at Merge Lane. Liz. Thank you. We're excited to present. Hi, everybody. My name is Liz Georgie. I am the co-founder and CEO of Suna, the world's first same-day photo and video concept. We are providing brands with the ability to get professional, custom photo and video the same day they have a great idea. And we do this right now through two different platforms, our retail locations, which are currently in Minneapolis and Denver, and through an online platform called Suna Anytime, which we just launched a few weeks ago. Really, when you're thinking about this idea of providing same day content, I want you to think about Kinko's. 20 years ago, marketers needed paper printed collateral, things like brochures and flyers, to be able to help them help get the word out about their business and their brand. Today, marketers truly rely more and more on digital assets, things that they can post on their website, in their email marketing campaigns, on social media, and anywhere else they communicate with their customers and key audiences online. 
And we do all of this for less than the price of stock. We provide photos for $39 a piece and we provide videos for $93 a piece. Truly the most competitive professional quality content out there. When a customer makes an appointment with Suna, we're really providing everything they need to get that end result. We have the crew, we provide the cameras and all the technical equipment, and we even do the props and a lot of the styling for the clients. So it's a truly one in all solution for the end customer. As I mentioned, we currently have retail locations in Denver and Minneapolis. We, want, we launched our Denver location in April and our Minneapolis location in May. And those two stores are doing incredibly well. We've been really delighted to see that our Denver store has been booked out almost every single day for the last month. And Minneapolis is continuing to grow its traction. We also launched a digital-only version of our product called Suna Anytime in August. And with Suna Anytime, any product company across the United States can actually deliver us their product and have their product shot in one of our two studio locations. They then can go online and buy any of the content from us that we shoot in store anytime that's convenient for them. With Suna Anytime, we're really trying to do four key things. We're trying to maximize the utilization of our retail locations. We're trying to provide clients with the ability to do an e-commerce-like shopping experience for their content, which you can see here. They can buy their photo and video just like they would buy anything else online. And it allows us to start to build an online library of their content so that we can continue to sell them their content in the future if they need it. Imagine, if you will, they didn't buy enough content with the color blue in the background, and so they can log into their account and buy more content from us at that price point at any time. We've also seen a ton of traction with enterprise customers because of the Anytime platform. It allows them to share their content amongst themselves and have a truly uh, innovative experience as an enterprise that's often spread across the globe. Our traction launching in April has been really strong. We're, uh, this is obviously the most important thing to me because I want our customers to love the Suna platform as much as we do. Since opening, we've had uh, just over 500 bookings as of last week with an average cart value of $381 per visit. My most important metric that I keep uh, hammering home with everyone we talk to is just how passionate Suna customers are. 60% of our customers have already booked for a second visit. And anytime open to a wait list of more than 1,200 customers, I was laughing because when we launched the product on a Tuesday, I came to the studio on a Wednesday morning and we already had three packages that had been next day to us from members of our wait list. They're incredibly excited. Let me tell you a little bit about the types of brands that are really attracted to Suna and who have been finding us valuable in meeting their market needs. We've seen the vast majority of our traction with D2C product companies. Think product companies that sell between 15 million and 25 million online direct to consumer and spend 100% of their marketing budget on social media. They tend to be anything from fashion and jewelry brands to food brands and people who are uh, generally getting their traction from sites like Instagram or Facebook. We've also seen a tremendous amount of pickup with a lot of consultants and freelancers, people who work for themselves who've been traditionally priced out of professional photo or video, but who are now able to come in and get that extremely high level quality at a price point that makes sense for their marketing budget. And I'm also delighted to be able to tell you that we just completed two test projects with walmart.com and target.com to provide e-commerce images for their platforms. And we're excited to be doing our second project with Walmart as soon as next week and our second project with Target next month.
I'm excited to hear more about what we're doing. I'll leave you with this. Just like Kinkos 20 years ago really innovated in the space of paper printed product, Colorado was well known for another fast casual brand called Chipotle. At Suna, we really think of ourselves as people who are developing a fast casual content revolution. And we truly hope that more people will come join us and see us Suna in one of our studios. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Liz. So what is the best outcome that you envision for Suna? You know, Haley and I, my co-founder, we really have a, a vision of a Suna store being in every major metropolitan area, but also having an online platform that truly services our clients' needs for the long term. So, of course, when you think about uh, brands that are building these massive libraries of content, Suna really being their resource where it goes, oh, my God, it's, it's Thanksgiving and we don't have any images of our product on Orange they can just log into their Suna account and buy content from us because we've been thinking ahead for them in that way and are really their true creative solution as they go through their content marketing ecosystem. Thanks. And then on the flip side of that, in the very unlikely event that Suna would fail, what would be the most likely reason for that failure? I think Suna, if Suna fails, and you know, knock on wood, that won't happen, but if Suna fails, it will happen because... Uh, we did not invest enough in the creatives who are making the content. What we're finding is that the customer passion is really because they're so delighted with the quality of the content that they're getting at the price that they want and they're getting it very quickly. So when we get those Google reviews, literally we got a Google review this morning that said, I will come to Suna forever. I love my content so much. If people don't love what we're delivering, the price, the affordable price won't matter. So we need to continue to invest in the creative and make sure that it's at the level that people expect. And then if you could source one connection or resource from our audience, what would you ask for? <laughs> uh, we, uh, up-and-coming D2C product company, but specifically we love brands, brands like Away, brands like Somersault, uh, brands that really have gotten a ton of traction by focusing on Instagram and are a big, big name that could potentially be a great partner for helping show that Suna can scale with a brand uh, that big as well. Thank you. And, you know, we've recommended Suna to a lot of the companies in our portfolio. So just as a note to some of the other funds out there, you know, I think your product and offering is a perfect fit for up and coming brands as well, as you mentioned, because it's so affordable and such high quality. We welcome all of them. Come see us. All right. Next, we have LEAF, which was nominated by Ethan Austin from the Western Union Accelerator powered by Techstars. Nat and Tori, over to you. Great. Thanks so much. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Nat Robinson. And I'm joined by Tori Samples, and we are the co-founders of LEAF. So before we start, I'd like to ask all of you to do a favor and to think about your wallets your cash, your cards, your identity, and everything that is valuable to you in those wallets. Now imagine that you're separated from those things that you value for good. And you're forced to flee your country and cross a border, and you're left everything else behind. This is the tragic reality facing 68 million people around the world who've had to flee and carry their life savings cross borders and leave everything else behind. And carrying cash is dangerous, inconvenient, and then expensive to exchange. And this is exactly why we've created LEAF, 
a global virtual bank to help the stateless and excluded safely store and transport cash across borders. We're blockchain backed and there's no need for a smartphone or internet connection. So in addition to the 68 million people, there's another 100 million who are facing crisis and could become refugees at any time. And as you can imagine, providing financial services in many parts of the world is a bit difficult. Yet fortunately, 60% are using a system called mobile money, which is like Venmo, but for the basic feature phone. You can cash in and cash out at agents at every street corner, and the challenge is that it doesn't cross borders, but that's where we come in. So in looking for places to start around the world, we focused on East Africa, where you have a high flow of refugees and heavy use of mobile money. It's also an area I know well. I spent seven years starting and running a microfinance company in Kenya. So beyond refugees, there's another 500 million people in Africa who rely on cross-border trade for income. Additionally, there's another 2.4 billion people around the world who are using feature phones or basic phones. So combined, this provides a 42 billion annual market for us. Let me give you a sense for how this journey works with LEAF. So a customer can create their account on their mobile phone. They can then go and deposit cash in a mobile money agent. Again, it's at every street corner. It takes about 15 seconds. Then that uh, customer can send their money to LEAF so they can cross that border without carrying physical cash. Additionally, once the LEAF account has been set up, friends and family, uh, that refugee or that person crossing that border can receive money from abroad. So once safe in another country, that customer can access their cash, be it in a neighboring country like Rwanda or Uganda or someplace farther. So with LEAF, that person can now start a life with a new start and new cash. We're able to do this in large part because of blockchain technology, which we use to store transactions and facilitate the movement of money across borders. It allows us to provide fast, affordable transactions for a population that demands high security and transparency but we don't invest in speculative cryptocurrency or post-customer information to the blockchain. We are in fact though the first blockchain-based financial solution for people without smartphones. Leaf makes money like other financial institutions like Western Union or MoneyGram. We charge small transaction fees and create a foreign exchange spread between currencies. Like a bank, we're able to invest our customer savings during the average six to 18 months that they're not using those funds. Unlike other financial institutions, though, we don't have the high cost of a brick-and-mortar network because our operations are mostly virtual, leading to an anticipated break-even at 24,000 accounts. As you can imagine, regulation and compliance is a big part of what we think about, and so we've chosen to pursue a partnership strategy working with licensed financial institutions to cover us in that area. We're excited to announce that just three weeks ago, we went live in five African countries and we hit our 400th transaction this week. It's actually at 472 as of a couple hours ago. We're also working with Western Union on a proof of concept to use their retail locations as leaf service points. Our work has been recognized by groups like South by Southwest, the National Science Foundation, the United Nations, and even the Vatican. We're the right team to do this. Uh, not mentioned his background in financial services. He's also a lawyer and a serial entrepreneur. My background professionally is in technology as a data architect. I've also worked personally with refugees in the US for 15 years. I know firsthand what happens when you take a person with a history of trauma and separate them from their assets and community. I know so many people who had wealth at home, but without the ability to access it, it may as well be non-existent. And so I'd ask you to think back to that feeling of being separated from what you value. And while thankfully that's not the case for most of us here, 
it is for 68 million and beyond that 2 billion unbanked people in the world. So we're excited to capitalize on this enormous market opportunity. Hope that you are as well as we provide virtual banking beyond borders with LEAF. Thanks. Thank you. You guys have deep experience in your current target markets, something that many of us don't have. And so I'm curious, what's the most significant non-obvious market risk that your previous experience has made you aware of? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that we run into that you know may not be as uh, or very similar to the U.S. or other markets um, is this need for the in-person um, support and services. You know, I think when we first start, we th- started this, we thought we could de- deploy uh, a solution that was purely digital and just use smartphone and feature phone and do our marketing communication through SMS and calls. But quickly found for someone to you know gain trust with a financial institution, um, there is this need for this in-person um, interaction. And so we've been um, exploring and engaging a, uh, a more agent model where we're able to recruit a young person who has a smartphone, for example, in a refugee camp who can then go and be um, extension of, um, of LEAF and register people and answer questions. Um, and that's somebody who's in the community who's trusted um, and it, you know, potentially has a bit of an um, impact on how quickly we can scale, but it's also, you know, a, a way for us to, um, to provide more um, ground support in that first level of customer support um, directly and create, um, you know, jobs for other, other people in um, the refugee camps. Thanks. And, you know, I can clearly see the potential for LEAF to make a social impact and achieve some financial return. But can you think of one potential way that the impact that you are driven to create will affect the financial return you'll be able to achieve? Yeah, I think one of our strengths is that um, we've had a lot of people coach us on how to tie our impact model and our business model together. Um, And so those both help each other out along the way. Um, Like Nat mentioned, just even in that agent model, we're providing a job for someone, but we're also providing I mean, financial return for them, they're getting paid for that. Um, and it helps, it helps with our growth with LEAF. Um, so I think that you start to see that virtuous cycle um, built into the model itself. And then we also anticipate that um, based on the results we've seen so far, when you provide someone with increased access to capital, you decrease their dependency upon a host state or foreign aid. Um, and so you're, you're allowing people just by connecting them with their own assets and money from friends and family um, to really impact the local economy along the way. Thank you. And then just like I've asked the other presenters, if you could source one connection or resource from our audience, what would you ask for? Sure. I think uh, now that we've built our, our, our wallet app and our um, you know, basic phone interface, uh, we've got a lot of the back ends developed. We could use a little help on the user interface and um, kind of the front end uh, work. So any designers, developers who've done some of this uh, app-based work, and ideally someone who's got some experience in the emerging markets that we're working, um, we'd love to uh, have access to more, more people to both advise us and also to get involved with some of the development. Okay, well, I'd love to keep talking, but I think it's time for us to turn off the recording and open it up to questions from our VC forum members. Listeners, as I mentioned earlier, I run a monthly forum for VC fund managers. Membership is by invitation only, but if you're someone we absolutely must have in our group, drop me a line and tell me why. Until next time. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes and share this episode. For more tips on how to be a better venture capitalist, check out fund81.com. 
That's F-U-N-D-81.com.